Welcome to Fortress on a Hill. I'm Henry. I'm Danny. I'm Kagan. We're three leftist veterans that aim to expose the reality of the U.S. military's multiple wars abroad and to illuminate the damage military service does to Americans. American presidents throughout U.S. history have used American military and diplomatic power to force regime change of democratically elected governments around the world. Most veterans come from families vested in prior service, and American generals choose their own, ensuring diversity of thought never interferes with American warmongering. How can we stand by and do nothing while our military kills and destroys lives the world over, while telling Americans that all this death and destruction protects them from terrorists when nothing could be more false? Fortress on a Hill aims to change that. Well, welcome everyone to Fortress on a Hill. I'm Henry. I have my uh, my pal Eric Morris today, uh, helping me with some some co-hosting stuff. Um, we are here to talk to Pat Elder about PFAS. That is our one topic for today. We are going to talk about PFAS. But let's uh, let's let everybody chime in. Eric, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. And uh, Pat. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us and uh, taking the time to talk about these very, very important issues. Hey, thank you, Henry. Just wind me up. So, uh, like I said, we wanted we wanted to take this episode to talk specifically about PFAS, about and about some of its basics, so that everybody can kind of get a wraparound of the of the idea here. Um, now, Pat is an investigative journalist who uh, is the creator of a website called uh, militarypoisons.org and that is his bread and butter that is what he works on these days and he travels to a variety of places uh, around the country to do testing of uh, contaminated water sources that are generally uh, filled with PFAS and generally caused by the military. Um, Pat, we tell our listeners what is PFAS, why is it so damaging, and what um, what do you think are the are the bigger implications of its use with the, between the the military? Okay, um, well PFAS first of all is an acronym PFAS, and it stands for per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, and these um, these compounds and there gosh there's eight thousand of them now. Uh, the United States government does not regulate any of them, um, but uh, um, these these compounds are um, they have one similarity, and that is that the uh, their molecular chain is made up of um, closely bound carbon and fluorine atoms. And I mean, gosh, it was 1938, just a month or two after. You know, German scientists figured out how to split the atom, um, and uh, you know they uh, it, itself an existential threat to humanity. Uh, scientists um, in New Jersey, uh, by accident, actually um, uh, discovered that when fluorine and and uh, carbon are joined together, they create the strongest bond. Uh, we know of. Um, they recognized that back in 1938. It's so powerful that um, uh, it'll put out a fire better than anything ever made. Um, it, it will also repel grease uh, and, and dirt uh, better than anything, and it will repel water 
better than anything. So uh, you can take it and um, you can put it into different um, substances uh, like uh, scotch board, for instance, and you can coat couches and chairs with it um, so that they never get stained. Or you could put it on a rain jacket to make sure that it becomes um, waterproof. And of course, you can put it in firefighting foam, um, which um, uh, is used um, in uh, um, not any kind of fire, but super hot, uh, you know, type B fires that typically um, burn uh, petrochemicals, uh, petroleum products. Um, so, you know, just super hot fires, a fire that may say engulf an F-35, a uh, very expensive aircraft. And so a lot of the military's um, hangars are fitted with these um, overhead uh, suppression systems um, that use the um, AFFF. AFFF is aqueous film forming foam, which is made of uh, PFAS. I'll stop there and, and have you come back. <laughs> uh, were, was it civilian or military uh, research to discover this? It was actually DuPont. And DuPont, civilian. okay. But as soon as um, you know the World War um, II rolled around, um, they um, the military used the substances um, in the Manhattan Project. Uh, they found that it was indispensable. Um, so PFAS uh, can put out a fire, and the hottest fire is better than anything. And so you can imagine how indispensable that was in the early days of um, the development of the uh, Trinity bomb in 1945. Um, so that that's its its um, its its past, um, but it, it can be likened to um, you know the Greek story of Icarus and Daedalus. And uh, man, I can never remember which one flew too close to the sun, <laughs> but I think it was Icarus. And uh, you know he had his wings fastened with with wax, and his dad told him don't go too close, and uh, he did, and he fell to his death when the um, mat the, the wax melted and. And so um, I think the uh, the idea there um, behind that uh, tale is that we can develop technologies that we can't control. And so again, uh, drawing from the Greeks is similar to Pandora's box. Pandora opened that box and she couldn't get it closed. And so now we are still developing uh, new types of PFAS. And you have to remember that you can have all kinds of varieties of um, of these molecular structures uh, with, uh, you know, the base being the, the carbon and the fluorine. But if you add uh, hydrogen, it might do something a little bit differently. If you add other uh, molecular structures, you can see how you could get to 8,000 different varieties of the stuff uh, in a hurry. And that's where we are now. And none of them are regulated by the United States government. So I, I, uh... I have a, a pretty personal connection to to PFAS and this its whole understanding of the contamination it, it, it causes. I um, I lived next to Gray Army Airfield during my time in the Army, and it was right, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many hundred yards away it was, but certainly because of its, its proximity to the airfield that the water sources in the area were certainly con uh, contaminated um, this up at uh, Joint Base Lewis-McChord, what used to be uh, what used to be Fort Lewis. Um, and of course, you know, I have other environmental exposure stuff. Um, 
but it's uh, I know that that PFAS definitely p played a big role, and it and it played it before I even went to I I did two tours in Iraq. It played it even before I had ever deployed. It was just doing training, and and that's one thing about environmental contamination in terms of the military is that people make the the assumption that it has to happen in some place other than the U.S. That the U.S. would not ever be nearly as dangerous environmentally as um, as there are, as, as environmental exposures that would uh, happen overseas. So, um, well, we know that's not true. I mean, uh, uh, I think it's important to point out, um, you know, the health impacts of PFAS. We haven't gotten to that yet, but in a nutshell, um, these materials uh, or many types of PFAS, um, especially those you know used in the firefighting foams in both civilian and uh, military applications, are bioaccumulative. And so uh, what that means is um, uh, when they get into uh, living organisms, you know, like fish or deer or humans, it just doesn't it 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 it, it um it doesn't go away um it'll accumulate in the liver it'll accumulate in the kidneys and actually throughout the body um and um your your body has no mechanism that enables it to dispel um these compounds and so everybody is born with them uh we have um uh, the the um, pfas it travels from a mother's milk to to the child and through the umbilical cord. So all American babies now are born with um, PFAS, and that level um, increases from the day the child's born uh, through a myriad of ways, heck, from, from mother's milk to uh, cow's milk to the dust in the air. Um, and then it's, it's just frightening to consider that it doesn't break down. And so, and so you know, for some folks, um, it's a bit of a stretch to imagine that, you know, applications of aqueous film forming foam in airports affects human health. And how the heck does that happen? Well, if it doesn't go away and it bioaccumulates, this is a dangerous, dangerous uh, pairing. Um, and so in, in, in short, the stuff um, drains into the ground. I mean, when they're when they're done using it, when they're done practicing with it, when these darned uh, hangers mistakenly discharge foam, and I mean it, they can discharge 13 feet of foam in a two-acre uh, hanger in a matter of a couple minutes. Um, when when one teaspoon of the stuff can can poison a large city's drinking reservoir, it's that powerful. One drop in 10 Olympic-sized pools is equal to one part per trillion. And we're being told by Harvard University School of Public Health and the Environmental Working Group and Northeastern University that we should not be consuming more than one part per trillion um, of these substances. And so it gets into the groundwater. And when it gets into the groundwater, um, then the aquifer becomes poisoned. And so people that might have wells 20 miles away could be drinking it. It also goes into municipal water systems uh, that often draw from groundwater. And when it does not, groundwater seeps into surface water. 
It's what it does. And we all remember as a kid, you'd walk along a creek, man, and the streams would be pouring out, uh, you know, the little bubbling streams. And, and I remember as a kid, we used to drink from those streams. We were told that they were perfectly fine. And so what happens is the streams become contaminated with PFAS. And one type in particular, PFOS, um, is extremely dangerous. It is arguably the most uh, bioaccumulative. Uh, it never breaks down and it gets into the water. And the state of Minnesota two years ago um, did a study and they showed that some species of fish um, can bioaccumulate PFOS in water at a rate of 7,000 times the ambient level. So all you need is one part per trillion in surface water, and a fish could potentially get to a, a level of 7,000 parts per trillion when the state of Minnesota, for instance, regulates drinking water to 15 parts per trillion. So, so we have military bases like uh, Wurtsmouth in Michigan that has fish um, at 10 million parts per trillion. We have, we have fish all across the country. Michigan, for instance, tested um, 2,600 fish throughout the state and found the average fish had 80,000 parts per trillion, while the state regulates PFOS in drinking water at 16 parts per trillion. So you can eat a fish, the regular fish, in Michigan waters containing 80,000 parts per trillion, but you can't drink the water if it has more than 16 parts per trillion. And, you know, there, there are lots of reasons for this. Financial reasons are paramount. I mean, you, you, we'll kill the restaurant industry, we'll kill the seafood industry, and we'll kill the tourism industry and the fishing industry. There's a ton of money. And these are threatening people. And they're nasty. How soon after 1938 did people, scientists, potentially know that this was bioaccumulative bio or that it was potentially dangerous to humans or to wildlife? That's a great question, you know, and it, I think that we don't know exactly. I mean, we can we can get all the way up until um, you know the early 1970s, and we know, for instance, that the Navy um, and that um, 3M, uh, which also developed the, the materials, um, have uh, have mentioned in internal documents that they knew the stuff was poisonous in the firefighting foam. Um, so. Um, and I think in, with 3M in, in Minnesota, um, there's inner office memos that go back to the mid 60s. That's about as early as we get. But they knew that the, there was uh, um, a, a problem with bioaccumulation, especially in the human liver. Um, and they, re, they knew it amongst themselves, but they didn't even tell their own employees who were developing this stuff. So those were the people who were sick. And of course, you know, we saw that in uh, the film Dark Waters um, in Parkersburg, West Virginia, that same dynamic play out. So, um, you know, these companies knew all along. And heck, they still do. Chemers in, uh, you know, in North Carolina knows darn well they're, they're poisoning people. Um, and uh, manufacturers of PFAS rugs and raincoats, et cetera, know darn well. And there's another aspect to this too, um, Eric and Henry. Um, 
that needs to be mentioned, and that is that uh, uh, we we buy these consumer items. Um, and there was a brilliant study done two years ago in Vermont where you have a degree of activism unmatched, really, and something about Vermont. Uh, you know, they, 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 um, they wanted to test uh, how much PFAS was in, um, you know, the, the landfills. And so they took a carpet and a chair and a sofa out of the, um, you know, the waste cycle you know, before the giant bulldozers crush them, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And um, they, they cut out little, um, I think there were five by seven swaths, um, and they put them, um, you know, into a uh, blender, so to speak. And uh, and they found that the, um, the average was 1.3 uh, million parts per trillion. What happens is that um, all of these materials um, go into the landfill, and they're crushed by those bulldozers, and the thunderstorms and the, the, the snow melts come. And, you know, it acts like a giant coffee percolator. Cool. You, know, you pour the water, man, and then underneath, um, you get what we call a leachate. And the leachate is loaded with PFAS. And a lot of that leachate is sent by some municipalities to wastewater treatment plants. A lot of it is simply allowed to drain into the groundwater, which, of course, makes its way to the surface water. The wastewater treatment plants are um, a huge part of the problem here um, because you might have a factory that does uh, a heck wire coating using PFAS or uh, chrome plating uh, using uh, PFAS, lots of different industrial applications. And they have large warehouses and at the end of the day, they may squirt their, uh, you know, their workplaces down and the PFAS is goes into the drain and then to the wastewater treatment plant. We have no treatment for this stuff. It goes into the wastewater treatment plant. The wastewater treatment plant, you know, pursuant to the Clean Water Act way back in 1986, sort of cleans the water for cadmium and barium and mercury and all kinds of other things. Um, not as well as the Europeans do, mind you, but they don't treat for the PFAS. Wastewater treatment plants gather PFAS and spit it into the into the rivers. That's part of the problem. We have the technology. We have the technology to treat this stuff. The same technology that exists for the drinking water. If you can imagine, say, for a um, a small city, uh, you know, something the size of a living room, you know, uh, that size of cubic footage times three or four. And you load it with um, with granular carbon. Uh, it's called GAC or granular activated carbon. And you pour your water through that first, you know, uh, area, and then the water goes through and is cleansed and goes into the second and the third. And by golly, by the time it gets through three or four processes of treatment, it's cleaned of most PFAS. It is remarkable. It's damned expensive, but it's doable. And so wastewater treatment plants can also do that uh, to treat for PFAS, although they don't because of the cost. Um, throughout the country, most, I would venture to say at this point, municipal water providers are treating um, using GAC or a kind of a reverse osmosis process uh, in order to clean the water. It's doable. 
Um, but uh, it's not being done. It's expensive and politics get in the way. So it said in the 70s, people start or there at least internally, we knew that it potentially was dangerous. When did the public find out? Was it about the same time later? Well, uh, you know, the public is uh, a nebulous concept. Here. Oh, sorry. I, or no, I, no, I mean, the, the, the scientific community will just say that public knew darn well from the 70s on. Uh, the American public um, was clueless until about four years ago, pretty much. Okay. Uh, I mean, and that's when um, several of us got got going. Uh, I think we can thank uh, the Environmental Working Group. If your folks have never heard of them, just simple, simply Google EWG PFAS. Um, these guys are great, and um, uh, you know, the team of men and, and women scientists that. Uh, are are just pioneers. Um, Northeastern University is another, and and Harvard. I mentioned them earlier. Uh, Philip Grandjean um, is a leader in this movement as well. He's actually been on it for about eight or nine years, uh, just blowing the whistle as loud as he can as he could. Um, but really, when you think about it yourself, you probably had never heard of PFAS until. I mean, really, for most people, two years ago, but 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 for a, a lot, four years. I mean, how long have you heard of it? Not really. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, how your personal experience with it? How long has that been? Well, um, quick little story here for me. Um, four years. Four years. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, you know, in terms of the scientific community, a newcomer. But you know, I, I'm I'm a revolutionary and. Um, you know, I've been involved in the anti-war movement all along. You know, I was always one of the guys that would get the permits in D.C. for the giant demonstrations. And, man, I deal with the porta potties and things of that nature, you know. And, and but that, that was my function. And I kind of drifted from there to countering recruitment. I mean, when we realized we could get a half million people on the streets of Washington, D.C., and it didn't change public policy, it's time for new thinking. And, um so I um, joined forces with uh, NOMI, which is the National Network Opposing Militarization of Youth, and worked with them consistently for several years. And, um, uh, you know, I was at a conference uh, four and a half years ago, and uh, we were in Minneapolis, and then later that year in Dublin. And, um, you know, I, I heard uh, Pat Hines speak. Um, she was the EPA Woman of the Year in 1989 or 1999, and she's a brilliant scientist. And um, we were speaking on military contamination, and I was on the panel because uh, I was addressing uh, the use of lead firearms in public high schools. You know, I, mm -hmm. I had the audacious view that probably not good public policy to allow lead firearms in high school cafeterias. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, we actually got a bill in the state of Maryland, um, you know, that would have made it illegal for the um, J-ROTC program to, to, to use the CO2 fired pellets in high school cafeterias, but the Democratic um, leadership wouldn't get behind the bill because they felt it, you know, uh, upset the, the military. Of course, the military lobbied strenuously against it, so we never mm -hmm. really had our first reading on that. Uh, mm -hmm. But I was at this conference in Minnesota, 
four years ago, and Pat Howard spoke of burn pits. And, um, you know, she just said the burn pits are really horrible, and these poor soldiers are throwing washing machines and computers and, and couches and anything and everything, chemicals, into these burn pits, and then they're coming away with carcinogens in their lungs. And there are tens and tens of thousands of them, and the VA isn't paying attention to them. And then she mentioned that there's this one type of substance that was used in firefighting called PFAS. And she said, these things, you'll hear about it sooner or later. Um, they are bioaccumulative. They don't break down. They don't go away. And they're carcinogens. And I peeked up. Mm. And after that, I, I saw an article in Military Times, which is, you know, a Gantt publication in the right. military. And Tara Kopp uh, was, uh, wrote a piece on George Air Force Base. And uh, apparently um, there was heavy usage of uh, PFAS and it was in the drinking water. And uh, there was a Facebook um, page started by a group of women who happened to be stationed at George um, in the 80s. And mm -hmm. one of the women typed, you know, I had a miscarriage when I was at George. And then another woman came along and she had a miscarriage, but she also had uh, uterine cancer, and then another, and then another, and then another. Mm. And um, 300 women uh, all spoke of uh, problems with their reproductive health for the rest of their lives. Uh, and they traced it to the PFAS. And uh, that got me, man. I, 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 mm -hmm. <laughs> I stopped the counter-recruitment work. I published my book, you, you know, um, uh, Military Recruiting in the United States. You can find it on Amazon and moved on to this because I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm about um, defending public health um, in the face of a military that, you know, has its eyes set on empire, quite mm -hmm. frankly. And um, that, that's how I got into it. And uh, really, I haven't looked, looked away since. And, um, you know, I, I just uh, realized that a lot of what the military is telling us is the truth. And so I've taken it upon myself, and I um, should have earlier mentioned uh, that um, I teamed up with WILF, which is the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, which is the oldest women's peace organization in the world. Well, they seized on the women's you know, reproductive health issue right off the bat. And um, so they've been funding me along the way. And... Um, and then um, several WILF members and myself uh, formed military poisons. We've been active in about 20 states, especially in New England, where we have, um, you know, really brought about uh, a lot of legislation to try to protect uh, not just PFAS coming from military installations, but um, just generally in, in society. So look to Maine. You know, Maine is, is, is an amazing state right now. Michigan, Minnesota. Uh, Vermont, I mentioned that earlier, uh, are leading the way. So um, a lot of states, you know, like Alabama, let's say, or Mississippi, have done nothing in this regard in terms of trying to, uh, you know, promulgate regulations to protect health. Um, so um, there's, there's an organization called Safer States. You can Google Safer States PFAS, and you can, um, you can find uh, what your state is doing. Uh, Indiana um, is a loser. And, um, you know, Washington State uh, is beginning to uh, come to grips with the, uh, with the contamination uh, by the Navy there. So 
um, there's hope. You know, it, it's it's a long, long process. So when there's a group of women at the Air Force Base, they tied it back to the PFAS. Who was who tied it or how was it able to be tied? What was the mechanism? Well, um, you'd have to go back and read the piece um, by Tara Kopp. Um, the water was tested and found to have high levels of PFAS. And independent testing has verified that since then. Um, but then others that are, uh, you know, argue and, and correctly as well that high levels of um, uh, uh, trichloroethylene and perchlorate mm -hmm. and other, you know, chemicals are in, were in the water at, at George as well. Look, the, the, George is incredibly contaminated. Mm -hmm. I mean, they shut the thing down. It is ghost town today. If you Google George Air Force Base and look for images, you'll see it's a frightening place. I've visited. Um, so, um, but it's kind of a circular, you know, firing squad there. And I realized that early on, you know, no sense in, in just looking there. Let's go to individual places. So for instance, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was down in, uh, heck, uh, Charleston, South Carolina at the Charleston Air Force Base. And, you know, the trick is um, to try to find a stream as close as possible to the perimeter of the base that drains off of the off of the runway. And man, mm -hmm. I was lucky there. And uh, I don't think we, I was more than about 400 feet from the runway and uh, collected a sample and there was 3000 parts per trillion of PFAS, not more than uh, maybe 2000 feet from the Ashley River. Mm -hmm. And there have been studies done since of the Ashley or before of the Ashley River showing many species of fish with tens of thousands of parts per trillion of PFAS. Hey man, we know it. The Navy knows it. South Carolina knows it. This is not a secret. They understand what's going on and they allow it. And so, and so, you know, when you look at statistics um, of, um, you know, the, the, the types of health effects to, you know, testicular cancer, liver cancer, breast cancer, um, and then childhood diseases like asthma and, um, you know, problems, um, uh, in vitro or problems in the in the womb uh, with with a developing fetus. It's all very easily documented. What's lacking is federal dollars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Has the military been involved at all in helping to, to study? Have they done any testing themselves or anything that you're aware of? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Um, you can. Uh, I mean, they've done they've done a tremendous amount of of research. Preliminary research. Um, they they follow the um, the uh, uh, Superfund process, mm -hmm. um, and so the the first uh, uh, you know and they they've 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 been asked to do so by the EPA, um, and so the first step is to do a preliminary assessment. So all military installations now um, have done preliminary assessments where they go, okay, well, where do you think we use this stuff? And they'll produce a 100-page report or so, and they'll say, okay, well, uh, the fire engines changed their spray nozzles here uh, for 28 years in a row. That probably is contaminated. Uh, the, you know, this hangar, uh, you know, used the stuff during routine practices, um, and so we think that's, you know, contaminated. Or they'd have a um, typically... Um, the Air Force would have 200 um, diameter craters that are two to three feet deep, and they would pour several thousand gallons of um, 
of jet fuel, um, JP5, JP6, into the craters, light them on fire. I mean, the servicemen and women involved would describe, you know, these mushroom clouds. And there's something, you know, fun about it being 19, uh, you know, and then you get to put it out and using the phone. And, um, and so those locations are absolutely laden. And then uh, there are site inspections, and the site inspections are ongoing throughout the country. And the site inspections usually result in the military bringing in independent engineering firms like CHM2 or, uh, you know, um, uh, gosh, uh, other, other firms, names have come to me, uh, that um, will look at... Uh, uh, the levels of contamination in several media, uh, sediment, soil, subsurface soil, groundwater, surface water, and the air, uh, and uh, create reports. And so I'll take those reports um, and see what they report um, on the um, surface water levels. And, um, and then I will take uh, my own uh, measurements and then write articles um, that will argue that the uh, that they're uh, you know under reporting levels, and I'll give you one specific example. Heck, I could give you a whole bunch of them, pets and notes, but mm -hmm. one is great. Um, and this is close to where I live. Um, the uh, Naval Research Lab of the um, Chesapeake, the Naval Research Lab, Chesapeake Bay Detachment, is about 35 miles southeast of Washington on Chesapeake Bay. And this is where Navy um, officials would um, go to blow things up and then uh, put them out with uh, PFAS um, since 1968. Uh, PFAS entered the environment along the banks of the Chesapeake Bay uh, first, you know, before anywhere else, purposely by the military. Um, and um, so the, um, the, the Navy um, um, has one spot where they tested uh, firefighting uh, foams, um, oh my God, for more than 40 years. I mean, they still do, except now they've got a concrete pad and they take it all away. And that's another story. Um, but anyway, um, a stream, you know, drains from the firefighting foam area. Mm -hmm. And it drains um, about 4,500 feet into the Chesapeake Bay. On its way, um, it, uh, it, it passes by um, the base's wastewater treatment plant. Yeah. Long story here. Um, the Navy reported that about 4,000 feet or uh, 3,500 feet, be more like it, away from the fire training area, um, they found 140 parts per trillion of PFAS in a stream. So remember what I said about the bioaccumulation potential in fish. You don't want that stuff going into Chesapeake Bay. 140 parts per trillion in a stream before it got to the wastewater treatment plant. And then it jumped to about 1,400 parts per trillion. This is on a PowerPoint presentation that the Navy gave um, in May of last year. And I got a hold of a copy of that. And uh, I felt moved to go to the banks of the Chesapeake Bay. Can't, you know, this is on a Navy base, so you have to go out into the bay, mm -hmm. get into the bay, and then walk toward the, the Navy and hope they don't, you know, uh, 
not only nose, but actually touch, you know, the beach and collect mm-hmm. the water sample. And I did so and found 6,000 parts per trillion, just a couple hundred feet where the Navy said they found 1,400. So, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're under-reporting levels of PFAS. Um, so it's important to understand the role of the wastewater treatment plant because the Navy says uh, that at that location, they're not allowing the AFFF aqueous foam-forming foam to get into the environment, the local environment anymore. Um, that, that, you know, the people in the area don't have to worry anymore. They don't do that anymore. Everything's fine. Everybody go away. Um, and um, it's true. I, I have no reason to, to believe otherwise. They have um, the pit now that they use to light fires and put it out with um, test foam um, is contained nowadays. Um, but what they don't say is that they truck the stuff away um, and it is either, you know, put into... Um, uh, the um, landfills or it's incinerated. Neither the landfill nor the incineration breaks down the PFAS. It just recycles. You, the, the incinerators aren't, allowed, aren't, aren't uh, hot enough to break it down. So you know, we've got to stop making the stuff. And then we've got to figure out ways to keep things out of landfills. Even if that means uh, building uh, several, you know, um, acres, large uh, hangars with concrete floors to put the couches in the raincoats and things. Can't bury it anymore. And we can't burn PFAS anymore. And, and we have to stop putting it into the ground. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's not news to, 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 um, to literally tens of thousands of scientists and policymakers across the country. This is not news. It's just we don't have um, the regulatory wherewithal. And that's because, big fat point here, the EPA, um, it was a great idea, I got to say, 1970. Very cool. Um, but it, um, it's gotten off track. And um, today, I believe that the, um, the EPA um, does the DOD's bidding. In other words, the Department of Defense dictates environmental policy when it comes to um, you know, regulating PFAS. And that's because Superfund law requires that polluters, if they knew that they were polluting, you know, uh, mm-hmm. have to clean it up. And if, if a polluter has to clean it up, my God, where I am in Maryland, right here on St. Indigo's Creek, it could cost hundreds of millions of dollars just for my little tiny neck of the woods. You know, I tested the foam here and found 5,000 parts per trillion 1,600 feet away from a Navy base. I tested the rockfish and the crabs and the oysters. 23,100 parts per trillion in a rockfish, 6,650 parts per trillion in a crab, and 2,050 parts per trillion in in an oyster. You know, I paid, oh my gosh, 700 bucks per test. I used Eurofins and brought a scientist down, you know, from D.C. in order to verify my results because before that, I had just used um, a, uh, a, a testing uh, house that was not EPA certified and um, I'm not a scientist and so they riddled me in the press and, and, the, and the Navy and the Maryland Department of the Environment you know referred to it you know me as a well-intentioned citizen scientist who doesn't really know what he's doing and so you have to take the uh, re- 
results with a grain of salt. So you can see how this plays mm -hmm. out. Um, there you go. I talk a lot. <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> um. We get asked often what people can do to help support the podcast. One very powerful way is to help us grow and reach more people is to leave us a review. You can do that on iTunes, which is the best place to leave a review. iTunes does reach the most people these days. The next best place is Facebook. Go to our Fortress on a Hill Facebook page and look for the reviews tab. And finally, there's Patreon, where we're blessed to have an array of wonderful supporters helping us for some of the podcast's expenses. Those who contribute $10 or more a month will be mentioned here as an honorary producer, helping keep you, our listeners, stocked with new episodes. But you don't have to contribute $10 a month to help us. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep going, paying for hosting and storage fees, transcribing old and new episodes, promoting and expanding the podcast, and more I'm sure I can't think of at the moment. So let's bring out these honorary producers, and they are Fahim Shirazi, James O'Barr, Adam Bellows, Eric Phillips, Paul Appel, Julie Dupree, Thomas Benson, Janet Hansen, Tristan Oliver, Daniel Fleming, Michael Caron, Zach H., Ren Jacob, Howard Reynolds. Why I Am Anti-War Podcast, Korgoth, Rick Coffey, and the Status Quo Podcast. You are all the engine that helps us power the podcast. Thank you so much. However, if Patreon isn't your style, you can contribute directly to us through PayPal at paypal.me slash Fortress on a Hill. Or please check out our store on Spreadshirt for some great Fortress merch. There's t-shirts, mugs, phone cases, and a whole lot more. And now let's get back to the podcast. So I wanted to talk a little bit more specifically about the the open burning and open detonation and i was reading in one of your articles about the uh, McAllister army ammunition plant in uh, McAllister, alabama yeah. they it, it said uh, they open burn 2.6 million pounds of these kind of substances a year and open detonate 1.9 million pounds yeah and, you know, that's, the, that's the that's the 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 top of the list for locations for the army um, but it's certain, certainly emblematic of what we're what we're talking about here, um, and it also you also go go through it describing about how the how it affects the local people, about the how they're how the munition blasts are set up for certain times of the day, that um, they they um, that way that that the you know local local they to say it's so the local citizens know. Uh, know when things are going on. I'm sure it's just for normal, normal, normal scheduling. And then the, um, the environmental uh, destruction just from the noise of the blasts and that they, um, that they uh, said it's equivalent to a, a jet takeoff, the loudest rock concert ever recorded, or a gunshot at close range. That, that sure doesn't sound like they're trying to protect the community at all. And, um, and lastly is the, the fact that they employ 1500 people they're the largest employer in their region and so in in fighting this we're also dealing with um people who are just trying to find jobs and and would would end up arguing that uh 
that by trying to fight this that we might be taking away jobs from some places depending on what angle you want to take sure well McAllister is a poster child for uh you know open burning and and, and open detonation no no question about that um but you know when Pavlov got his dogs to salivate you know when ringing those bells I mean he got them to do all kinds of things I think he even got them to think a certain way ring enough bells and you condition them enough then you know they'll they'll be quite dutiful and I think that's what you got at McAllister I mean these these folks um you know they say um according to a Gannett publication that um you know they're used to it um they can deal I mean, you know, things fall off the shelf at a local elementary school. Uh, bomb blasts are so loud um, that uh, they can do damage to the eardrums. Um, and it goes on. And these clouds of, of, of toxic uh, 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 waste, um, you know, travel and just uh, sprinkle a silent death. You know, we know that. Um, I sure would like to get to McAllister. Um, you know, a little bit more funding. I think it probably will eventually um and just test the surface water um you know and then test their drinking water as well um but it, it it's important because um you know the food is is contaminated and um you know it's it's um it's interesting because uh gosh it's been almost 20 years now the fda uh tested uh for PFAS, uh, and um, they found uh, extraordinarily high levels in uh, eggs and, and you know the, the ground beef and uh, uh, lamb chops and all kinds of different food. Um, and then it went silent, you know. And so now the FDA um, um, says that um, we shouldn't stay away from any kind of food because of our fear uh, of PFAS including fish. And so you've got Michigan on the one hand saying 80,000 on the, in the average fish. And then you've got the FDA on the other hand says you shouldn't be worried about it. It's where we are. Um, you know, we have, um, a, uh, um, a kind of, uh, um, I want to try to use some sort of Marxist terminology, uh, a dic a dictatorship, not of the proletariat, but of information sources. We, 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 you know, we, we're a society that's wearing horse blinders and earplugs. We're only being fed what they want us to hear. But in the meantime, we're threatening the very basis of humanity, man. We're threatening the unborn. So what are we going to do about it, Henry? Eric, no, uh, I, I, it's even even for as much as I've read about about PFAS contamination, listening to you talk, still, still blows me away, and and that the, you know, our our mythic idea of of a free speech society versus what like what you just described being a dictatorship of information control of uh, um, manufactured consent. So I um. I, I do want to talk a little more about about what we what we can what we can do about it. But before we come to that, I'd like to talk with you about your impressions of how the anti-war community and uh, environmental NGOs have played in in the 
this? Do they, you know, what, where, where do you, um, where do you see them coming down? And um, yeah, that's, that's yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, first of all, they're my sisters and brothers, man. You know, and so I don't want to come across as a big fat jerk. Um, but um, I, I, I have done what I can do as a human being uh, for the last four years to try to draw public attention to this issue. Uh, you know, I serve um, on the coordinating committee of No to NATO. Um, you know, it's, it's based in Berlin, but I'm one of the token Americans on this committee. And so I also, um, I run the, the, the Facebook page <clears throat> for No to NATO. So, you know, and I have, um, one of my uh, masters is in international relations. So, you know, I, 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 I understand the anti-war movement, um, you know, and I've been a big part of it. I, I helped found the DC Anti-War Network. I work with um, United for Peace and Justice. Uh, heck, you know, and then I was on the coordinating committee of World Beyond War. And so they're, they're my sisters and brothers. Um, but man, it's been a frustrating uh, road here. Um, you know, they, I, I, they like the big think, you know, uh, they like uh, we've got to, to, we have to get rid of nuclear weapons. I mean, I'm I'm there. I've camped out at Buchel in Germany. You know, I've been arrested a bunch of times, and, uh, and I'm with them. It's just not my focus. You know, we've got to stop the war in Ukraine. Well, you know, we do, um, but we have other things on our plate as well, and it just seems that. For the mainstream American peace and justice peace community, um, there is limited bandwidth. The focus is on uh, nonviolent resistance. Hey, man, uh, you know, I've, I've had those tie straps behind my back, you know, many times uh, arguing the case. Uh, and in fact, I've been helping to organize a demonstration um, on April 21st at Lockheed Martin uh, you know, a uh, master of war. In fact, we were just on a call earlier today, and I said, yeah, 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 sign and say masters of war. And then somebody said, well, that people might think that's a compliment. So, so we thought, okay, well, instead of masters of war, we ought to have a parenthesis that says bad. <laughs> masters of war, bad. Uh, but, you know, um, I, I tell you, United Anti-War Coalition, they, they don't have anything to do with military contamination. It's just not, it's not in their, it, it's not in their focus, you know. Um, World Beyond War is doing better um, with, the, with the contamination stuff, not so much with PFAS. I don't think people understand um, the serious threat that PFAS poses. And I think, you know, if, if I say this is an existential threat to humanity, they came up with this stuff in 1938, within a few months of the development of, of um, you know, splitting the atom, and both are, are existential threats. This stuff is killing us. It is rearranging our DNA. Um, it's, it's lost. And, um, and, you know, I argue the point, and I argue the point internationally with my brothers with uh, the International Peace Bureau and NOTA NATO and a lot of other different organizations. We have to get people, uh, you know, engaged. 
Um, and one way to do that is to say, hey, uh, folks that, um, you know, uh, take uh, fish uh, from rivers near uh, Ramstein Air Base or Spangdalem Air Base in Germany, we know that, um, that you know, the AFFF has been used. Uh, we know some of the levels of AFFF. And we know uh, the levels of uh, PFAS in your fish. And we know that, this, that different states have put um, at, you know, fish advisories so that you can't eat them. Uh, and so can't we uh, engender a bit of indignation as a tool in fighting war? You know, and the answer I get back is no. <laughs> no, we, we've, we've got to stop those nuclear bombs. You know, we need to we need to stop defense spending. That's that's the key. Uh, no, you know, no two percent uh, you know increases for European states. Um, you know, and and so my focus is is on the guy that lives four doors down, who had a naval career, who's now livid um, that he can't fish in his creek because the navy's contaminated it. You get enough people like that together. And you got a movement. You have a revolution. It's 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 by um, by convincing people that um, the military is contaminating us. Um, but man, I mean, if if you can't, you know, convince frontline peace and justice folks, uh, you know, you're going to have a hard time with the masses. Now, as far as your mainstream environmental NGOs are concerned. I mean, Chesapeake Bay Foundation is a great example. I mean, I published my results using Eurofins, bringing scientists from PEER, which is the public and employees for environmental responsibility down to my beach here, um, and publishing the, the results and uh, you know, sending them to the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, which is a very large organization that gets lots of money from lots of uh, state and uh, and uh, you know uh, corporate sources, and um, you know uh, they publish their uh, biannual Chesapeake Bay report card, and they gave the Chesapeake Bay blue crab a B plus, and you know meanwhile they have my work, I'm work from here that says if we were living in a few European states you wouldn't be able to eat it, so. You know, it's it's all about the flow of money. Uh, if if the Chesapeake Bay Foundation has dozens of oyster beds that they've been cultivating for years, they don't want to hear somebody saying you shouldn't eat it. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a financial thing. I mean, we have a huge seafood industry and we have a huge tourism industry. It's just like um, you know, we found eight thousand parts per trillion of PFAS flowing into Lake Champlain. Uh, from uh, uh, Plattsburgh Air Force Base, a base that closed 30 years ago. You know, it's in the groundwater. It perpetually flows. The, the subsurface soil at Plattsburgh is like a giant uh, subsurface subterranean sponge. It just pumps out poisons. And so we know that Lake Champlain is loaded with PFAS. We don't know if the fish, fish is loaded with PFAS. We, we have a very, very, very strong inclination that they do. 
uh, but we don't have the resources or the money to test the fish. Only the states of Vermont and New York have that capability, and they're refusing to do so, despite our efforts. So it's like that. It has to do with the money. So your main website is militarypoisons.org. So you came through this through the anti-war movement. Is that why your main focus is on military sites, or do you think that's probably the, the easiest, best way for to get wider knowledge or just because of that article you first read that drove you to, to focus on that yeah. or well it's it's not the easiest way to attract attention it's probably the worst way to do it <laughs> okay you know um but uh you know i i, 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 I think um you know it was it was the uh uh the women uh with wilf um uh, you know nancy price in davis california my god she's 82 years old She's a water warrior. She's been fighting the state of California for 50 years on clean water. And she is also a peace activist. Uh, Marguerite Edelman is in Burlington, Vermont. Same deal. You know, these are ardent revolutionaries. Wilf is a great organization. And they're the ones that, that, that you know, uh, put me to the task, really, uh, and, and made it very clear to me that we need to tell the other half of the story. And also, uh, Robert uh, Bilot, uh and Mark Ruffalo teamed up to produce the movie Dark Waters. Mm-hmm. They don't touch the military, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, um, and so uh, we figured we needed to tell the other half of the story. Gotcha. You know, and, and, um, but it's, it's, it's tough, uh, you know, and even now, you know, uh, we have a lot of movement um, in, in several states through the legislatures, um, but it's not directed at the military. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. I mean, and, and so what I've gone through a kind of metamorphosis myself, you know, where I have, uh, um, I've always been pacifist. Uh, I've always been a humanist, uh, you know, but, I've, but the, the thing that drove me the most was a hatred of fascism and empire. And, um, you know, that got me out on the street and that got me, you know, uh, arrested many times in organizing demonstrations. But, you know, I've gone through a change. And now, you know, I, I, um, I advocate for uh, human beings first, human health first. So it's so funny what happened um, just uh, three weeks ago. I was on a um, with with my brother. Um, we got funding and uh, we, we, we tested uh, surface waters draining from eight military installations, two each in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. And, um, you know, I was staying with my brother, Bill, down in Delray Beach, Florida, which is, I mean, I think one of the highest per- millionaires per capita mm-hmm. <laughs> anywhere in the country. I mean, it is wealthy down there. Boca Raton, I don't know if you've ever heard of these places in, in Delray yep. Beach. Yep. fantastically wealthy places yes. uh, and um, you know uh, um, I, I had a um, two you know water test kits left over so I took a sample of his tap water and he goes oh everybody down here has their own you know they have water system that no one drinks the water mm-hmm. know, everybody knows and so we have these uh, you know the Culligan man comes or whatever you know of course if if you go six blocks from my brother's ritzy condo and you cross dixie highway 
You get into housing that's predominantly Hispanic and African-American, they drink the same water. They actually mm -hmm. drink the water. But anyway, the water I collected had 659.5 parts per trillion of PFAS, including um, over um, you know, 150 parts per trillion of PFOS and PFOA. The EPA suggests in their advisory that you keep those levels under 70 which most municipalities are trying to do. Um, mm -hmm. But South Florida's aquifer is so contaminated that it's just a, so expensive to do for them. Mm -hmm. Their water is lousy to begin with. It's kind of like a giant um, kitty litter box that just hasn't been changed in a long time. Mm -hmm. and, um, and they know it and they're not doing anything about it. And besides, you know, their constituency has water brought in anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I'm I'm on that right now. I mean, just as a, a, a you know a segue, uh, a temporary. So I'll be heading back down there to test water, uh, you know, from Trump's uh, Mar-a-Lago all the way down to Miami, uh, from tap water. Mm -hmm. I think I'll visit bars. That that will you know just go to the bathroom in the bar mm -hmm. and, and pour water and get samples from ten different. Uh, uh, jurisdictions um, and then see where we are with that um, because it, it, you know I'm not getting the traction that you'd think I would get you know 6,000 parts per trillion in the bay mm -hmm. the fish in the bay are contaminated you know Lake Champlain same deal 3,000 mm -hmm. in, in uh, South Carolina so but but maybe in the drinking water Maybe to say, hey, you've got 207 parts per trillion of PFHXS, a chemical no one's talking about, but we know that goes right through the placenta. And we know that there are uh, direct correlations between PFHXS in mother's blood and children uh, with asthma. Well, we know these things. And we know that those levels in Delray Beach are much higher uh, and are causing people to get sick. We just mm -hmm. need we need government money to 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 make the case. I don't know if I'm answering your questions. I figure if I say enough words, man, I'll hit it sooner or later. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, to to close us out here, Pat, tell us what what can our listeners do to support your work. Um, you had talked with me about uh, uh, purchasing or donating uh, funds for the t testing kits that you use right. in uh, many places. Right, right, right. Well, there's a company um, called Cyclopure, C-Y-C-L-O-P-U-R-E, Cyclopure. And they got um, about a million and a half dollars of federal, uh, federal funding, plus they were able to raise three and a half million themselves. Um, and um, they were funded by the National Institutes of Environmental Health, the federal government, um, to come up with um, a system uh, to um, clean drinking water and surface water. And so they, they developed a new technology called DEXSORB, D-E-X-S-O-R-B. And um, this DEXSORB has been found to be uh, remarkably accurate within one to two parts per trillion for 55 different types of PFAS. Um, and um, 
you know, regular folks can go to the um, Secure um, website and click up top where it says uh, testing kits and order a kit for 79 bucks. And it's pretty simple. They give you a little uh, 250 milliliter cup. I don't know what that is, seven or eight ounces. And you fill it up with drinking water from your tap. Um, and then you let it, let it drizzle through. The bottom of it has a filter about the size of a quarter and the water pours through the filter. And then uh, you mail it back dry in the little box that they sent to you with the self-addressed uh, already you know, sticky label there. And uh, you mail it back and about two weeks later, you get um, a report on the PFAS that's in your water. Uh, if you really want to be daring, you can go to the military base nearest you or contact me, pelder at militarypoisons.org. And um, I'll, I'll, you know, look up the engineer's report of for the, I don't know, Des Moines Air National Guard base and tell you mm -hmm. that you could go along Jefferson Highway and park on the shoulder of the road and go underneath the little bridge and, you know, take, take a sample of water and then uh, let me know what you get. Uh, or, you know, and then publish a letter to the editor and try to get a spark going. Cyclopure um, is uh, an amazing product. And, um, you know, we have uh, had remarkable success using this product. And we've raised, I guess, about 6,000 bucks so far, you know, just to buy test kits. And, you know, we're, we're frugal, you know, mm -hmm. not making any money on this. You should see the right wing mail I get, like, yeah, uh, no, no, I'm not making money on this. No, no, they, no, I'm, I'm not together with ivory tower liberals in New England trying to think of clever new things to regulate. That's mm -hmm. not it, man. Mm -hmm. um, so, so um, you know, it, you can you can contribute if you go to uh, militarypoisons.org, and down below it says donate, and you know, seventy nine bucks will buy a kit. And then you can read an article that I'll write in about a month or two just to show you what I did with the kit, mm -hmm. if you want to go that way. But you can do it yourself, too. I mean, this is cutting-edge stuff, you guys. Mm -hmm. Well, I, um, I think that's a great place for us to, uh, to wrap it up for today. Um, Pat, thank you so much for coming and chatting with Eric and myself. Um, we've been talking to... Uh, Pat Elder, um, Pat, you'll. Uh, I hope you'll come back and uh, chat with us again sometime. I'd like to do that, and maybe next time uh, you you all can, um, uh, you know, pick a military base nearest you, mm -hmm. uh, and get out there, and okay. uh, and and you know, email me back and forth, and uh, mm -hmm. um, it wouldn't take much time. I mean, I'll do the hard work, which would be to go to the engineers reports and show you where to go. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, for both of you, you've got military installations yeah. within 50 miles, you know, and yeah. just, yeah. and I'll, I'll tell you where to look. And uh, I mean, you could hit a home run. And, uh, you know, um, you know, the trick is, of course, getting mainstream press, mm -hmm. but it's worth doing 79 bucks. Yeah. Peace that's out, a, man. Yeah. That's, a, that's a, uh, that's an incredible amount of, uh, of advocacy in one action and uh it can definitely help people yeah so. no question man it'd be fun to work with you uh you know it's uh i usually know you know i i'll do these things and sometimes i'll actually get an email you know? yeah. 
the pressure on us. Well, we'll make we'll make sure that we um, we link to your site. Yeah, and, I, didn't, uh, I didn't mean that in a, in a, a no, derogatory I'm, sense. I, I mean, I I I had 140 last year during the Veterans for Peace uh, convention, mm-hmm. and I got two guys, and they're they're still with the program, man. Mm. Testing and mm-hmm. newspapers, and I mean, uh, it, it, uh, but that's that's about it. Mm-hmm. That's the ratio, you know. And this this is activism. Mm-hmm. Do it. So, mm-hmm. all right, man. Thanks. All right. Well, I learned a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today, Pat. Um, and uh, thank you everyone for listening. I hope that uh, today's episode is really informed. Uh, you a lot more about PFAS and also what you can do to uh, help with it. Um, And so uh, we will uh, see you all guys, (laughs) see you guys uh, next time. Take care. We're on Twitter at Fortress on a Hill and also at Facebook.com at Fortress on a Hill. You can find our main blog page and our full collection of episodes www.fortressonahill.com iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Patreon, Spotify. You name it, almost anywhere you listen, we're already waiting for you. And hey, we're always in the market for more Patreon supporters. Please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com. And if you're not into giving us a monthly payment, think about giving us a couple bucks on PayPal. The link is in the show notes. Skepticism is one's best armor. You Never forget it. We'll see you next time. And listen to my song. I hope you'll pay attention. I will not